0: Black Agenda Podcast. We're doing our weekly roundup. It is number four, July 10, 2021. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, with my co-host, Devin Dito. We've got plenty of news listeners, so we're going to get right into it. Our first segment here, we're going to have a lot of different popcorn topics here for you listeners. So we wanted to start off with something in New York uh, with Governor Cuomo. Uh, He announced on Tuesday through executive order declaring gun violence uh, emergency. He's going to be signing an order that really has a legislation that allows the civil lawsuits against gun manufacturers, distributors, and dealers for how they market and sell firearms. I think a lot of people are really waking up to the fact that, you know, these people who sell and distribute and deal guns do have a uh, a say in how, you know, and what's going on. And with all the uh, rise with gun violence, I think people are trying to call them out. So it's nice to see Governor Cuomo doing this. The legislation prohibits false marketing and requires gun industry players to take steps to prevent theft and illegal or unreasonable sale of firearms. And I think, Devin, that's an interesting point because we talked a little bit about that with our episode uh, with with Naga, uh, VP President, uh, uh, Mr. Douglas. And we talked a lot about how it seems with gun violence, it's not necessarily about the lawful sale of guns. It's about the illegal, the theft, and uh, somehow people get these gun loops. Uh, The statute explicitly allows the state attorney general and corporate counsels for local municipalities to sue those gun manufacturers and such who have these sort of allegations going on. The governor noted that there were at least 51 shooting victims across the state over the 4th of July weekend, which that's incredible. I mean, 51 just in the 4th of July weekend. When you break down that numbers, Governor Cuomo says there are more people dying in New York of gun violence and crime than of COVID 19 right now. So, Devin, I mean, that's a lot to process right there.
1: It really does. And I think even during the same uh press conference uh governor Cuomo even pointed out they kind of went from one epidemic to another you know from covid-19 and now to uh you know gun violence and so it's it's something that needs to be handled it's it's something that's happening all across the country don't think this is you know only in New York this is something that's happening across the country and one other thing to point out here too um is that um with this thing here there was some other news You may remember the Sandy Hook killings um, that that happened. And so right now it actually looks like the lawyers that are representing 10 Sandy Hook families in a lawsuit against Remington Arms Company. They have now accused the gunmaker of deliberately slowing the discovery process by filing tens of thousands of seemingly unrelated images and videos. And so among the documents produced by Remington, more than 18,000 files depicting cartoons and, e- and emojis, along with thousands of personal photos and videos of people participating in activities like go-karting. I mean, just meaningless things that they were filing, um, just making the discovery process just ridiculous. And so, at the heart of this lawsuit, though are questions about how Remington marketed and advertised the model of AR-15 style rifle that was used in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting that killed 26 people um, in 2012. So again, you kind of see that the executive order, Adrian, from from Governor Cuomo, goes at some of the marketing techniques that these gun industry players use. And so you see that's at the heart of this Remington Arms Company uh, lawsuit, is the advertising of that particular model of AR-15. So interesting to see that these two things are kind of happening at the same time. And so it'd be interesting to see how that actually turns out that case does in in Sandy Hook. But also if this executive order in New York actually leads to more cases uh, being filed against um, these gun manufacturers. So. We'll definitely keep. You never up know,
0: there. Devin. I I I hope that that, that we can hold somebody responsible because honestly, you know, we, it's hard to legislate, you know, gun violence and gun deaths. But one thing you can legislate is, you know, you know how many guns there are out there, and and trying to help to regulate that. So I'm um, hopeful that we can hold the gun manufacturers responsible, to, just like just like the tobacco industry, who had to take responsibility mm-hmm. for how they marketed you know, gun industry, you know, could probably do the same thing.
1: Yeah. Bringing up the tobacco industry is a great point because it is, that's a very good comparison to what they're trying to do uh, with the gun manufacturers. It's an uphill battle now. It's a very steep hill to try to climb to get that kind of legislation passed. But like I say, we'll definitely keep you, you know, updated on that case and also that executive order. Um, in New York. So that's going to be our first topic. Our next story here is going to go, we're going to just give you an update out of Miami. Now, we did have an interview um, on a past weekly roundup with a professor uh, from Florida International University who told us, you know, some things about the collapse in uh, Surfside, Florida of the condo. So just to give you an update right now, the current death toll stands at about 78 people. This is on Friday. Now, when you hear this, it may be more, more than that. But as of right now, seventy eight people have been confirmed dead. Um, after the collapse of a condo building in Surfside. Uh, the mayor has called it heartbreaking. Uh, recovery recovery workers have toiled for sixteen days trying to find victims in the rubble, and another sixty two people remain unaccounted for. So hope is quickly uh, fading uh, for survivors who are who are looking and hoping they can reconnect with their family. Um, workers had actually demolished the remaining part of the condo building in Surfside, and so that allowed access to new areas of debris. Um, Some voids where survivors could have been trapped did exist, mostly in the basement and the parking garage, but they did not find anyone alive. And instead, the teams recovered more than a dozen additional victims. And one last tidbit here is that no one has been pulled out alive since the first hours after the 12 story building fell on June June 24th so just a really really heartbreaking story uh coming out of Surfside and it's not over yet still 62 people remain unaccounted for so just a really really tragic story there Adrian
0: Yeah we're we're hopeful that that maybe some things will change but that I mean it, when you when you when you talk to the experts like uh Dr. Azizi, um, you know, it's it sounds like it's it's going to be a a, a long uh, recovery process there. So, we'll definitely make sure to keep you updated on that. Um, this one, uh, listeners, to take you to another story is out of New Jersey. Um, really interesting. I, I want to say Devin. I remember reading about. I want to say it was either New Zealand or Australia that had actually prosecuted some people over racial slurs and things like that. So it's really interesting because when you talk about how to eradicate racism. Maybe we do need to figure out how to legislate it a little bit better, but this is out of New Jersey where a man appeared in court Tuesday after being arrested for allegedly shouting offensive language and racial slurs at his neighbors, uh, and this was early during the day in the township of Mount Laurel. The man's name is Edward Cogney Matthews, 45, faces several criminal charges, including harassment and bias, intimidation, and trespassing after a video circulating on social media showed him shouting offensive and racial slurs at his neighbors. According to an affidavit, Matthews was captured on July 2nd on a neighbor's doorbell camera, thrusting his hips in a lewd motion while laughing while looking at the camera. He is also heard saying effing monkeys, The neighbor is a Black woman and is on the Homeowners Association, told police Matthews called her racial slurs over the past few months. The affidavit says this. The affidavit also states that Matthews' actions were an attempt to intimidate her to move out of the neighborhood. On Monday, police arrested Matthews at his home where dozens of people were gathered. A uh, video from CNN affiliate KWY shows bottles being thrown at Matthews, uh, also thrown at his home and at the police that were escorting him to the police vehicle. So, Devin, that's an interesting story there. When you try to talk about, you know, you know uh, somebody just literally intimidating someone with racial slurs and things like lewd behavior to get them to move out of the neighborhood. Um it just it's it definitely you know you know very reminiscent I mean this guy is uh white yeah, definitely reminiscent of you know some sort of white supremacy tactics or something by the KKK or uh just really really harmful uh stuff about you know going you know going towards us um trying to get us to move I, I it's just just really disheartening to see that we're in 2021 Uh, We're trying to, you know, have this kumbaya moment with the new administration, build back better, getting, you know, done with this pandemic. And then we have nutcases like Edward who, (laughs) for some reason, want to, you know, be like we're in the, you know, the good old days or whatever. Like Cindy Hyde-Smith, I guess. Uh,
1: Yeah, I guess so. You know, she doesn't want the woke people to vote. She wants people like this guy (laughs) to go to the ballot box. But, yeah, I mean, it's just... Pathetic, pitiful, you know, a sad excuse for a person who wants to say, you know, effing monkeys and and just really act a a whole fool, you know, basically on camera in front of people. And what gets you what got me was just how how bold and brazen it was because he knew he was on camera and he didn't care. He just was going to say what he wanted to say because he feels as though, you know, it's like that mentality that we always talk about with the folks who have embraced the things that Donald Trump says, there's an ownership that they feel that they have over this country. And he felt like he was, you know, in control of the neighborhood and he gets to pick and choose who lives there. And so he thought he was just going to act a fool and, and force this woman to move out of the neighborhood. And, you know, it, this is a new era. It doesn't work like that anymore. You don't have that kind of control. And so he, he got what he deserved. And, Watching the videos, I mean there were hundreds of people standing outside this man's house he had he had touched the nerve <laughs> that I don't think he really
0: I can expected. imagine because i mean you we talk so much about stories of how we as black homeowners have such a hard time you know with 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 making it, whether it's be getting mm-hmm. into those nice neighborhoods, you know selling our homes at higher value, getting them appraised properly. And then when you've got a situation where someone just uh you know does this and just tries to get you to move out after you've worked hard to get there to exactly. get your kids yeah. and good schools and stuff like that. Um it's ridiculous. To, I get mean, this here. person who thinks he, you know, is deserving to be there. Yeah, exactly. You know, if if we were like uh the breakfast club, I guess we could have a donkey of the other day or something, but we don't, so.
1: <laughs> now yeah, I wish we, if we had it, he would definitely absolutely get it so <laughs> but uh our next story here uh we're going to go we talked about it last last week but uh Olympian Shakari Richardson we just wanted to give you an update on this so we actually got some news from the the US uh anti-doping agency uh they've written a letter in response to her being suspended um and they essentially uh, said that, you know, there are ways to mitigate harsh consequences, but they said that they cannot change the, the rules unilaterally. Um, They called it heartbreaking that she'll now miss the Olympics. And they said that the World Anti-Doping Agency's rules concerning marijuana must change. And so if you don't know, Shakira Richardson was suspended for 30 days over the positive marijuana test, which was going to keep her from the 100-meter race at the Olympics. It's now been confirmed that she will miss the Olympics entirely after she wasn't selected for the U.S. Olympics team uh, 4x100 relay. Uh, so she won't run the relay. She will not run in the 100-meter race. So she's not going to be there at all. And after she accepted the 30-day suspension, um, the U- the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency said that there is, they said, quote, there is no legal no longer any legal process to challenge it or to reverse it because she has accepted it. So, just wanted to give you that update there. Shakira Richardson, we will not see her um, at the Tokyo Olympics.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. For I mean, the good thing is that it's not like it's a one shot deal. Hopefully, she'll be able to you know, keep up her training uh, so she can you know you know represent later on down the road. Um, Listeners, just, just to round off this uh, segment here i am um, had some breaking news. Really, really cool. Uh, first African-American to win the spelling bee. Looks like uh, for the first time in 96-year uh, history, an African-American has taken the top prize. And I hope I pronounce her name. Uh, Zala Avent. Maybe it's Zala. Is that uh, Zalia? I think that's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's maybe we'll go with that. She's 14, 8th grader from uh Harvey, Louisiana. Uh won the competition. And I didn't know this, Devin, but it comes with a fifty thousand dollar prize. Um right. if I were fourteen and I won fifty thousand dollars, that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she is in the competition. Uh looks like uh she's the competition second oh second black champion here. Uh she crushed the competition with the winning word uh Maru- Mararia. I'm, I don't. I don't know if I pronounced that right, Mar- but yeah, <laughs> not, what, what, I think it's Mariah.
1: What,
0: Mariah, think. hey, we're not we we're, we're, we didn't win the spelling bee, listeners, so we don't have to worry <laughs> about it. But it looks like that's a genus of tropical Asiatic and Australian trees. Uh, looks like Anne celebrated with a twist on stage after confetti, but not before she got the judges' smile cracks by sneaking in with the Bill Murray joke there. Uh, National Spelling Champ isn't the only title that she holds. She also holds three Guinness World Records for basketball talents. One of them is for the most bounce juggles in one minute with four basketballs. Also, the most basketball bounces in 30 seconds with four basketballs. And lastly, she ties the record for most basketballs dribbled at once, uh, six by one person. So, Devin, B14, she is very uh, talented (laughs) with basketball. Uh, and obviously she's talented with words and spelling. Um, I definitely hope you know she has a future with the WNBA or, or, or maybe the maybe the Harlem Globetrotters will let her in um, as the first female because I don't think they've had one.
1: No, but they should certainly look at it. I'm, I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing. Obviously, they don't.
0: They happen. can't do this kind of stuff, and their whole routine is around this kind of stuff. But they don't <laughs> hold no records for it.
1: They, I mean, they don't but they could certainly add a Guinness world record holder to the team, you know, but like you say, maybe she'll, she'll hopefully she'll definitely make the WNBA. If not, she's got a bright future. I'm sure she's probably getting all kinds of uh, scholarship offers and letters from schools. She should be pre-approved everywhere. (laughs) Um, But no, that's, that's amazing. Pretty much. That's the true definition of a student athlete. She's doing them both there. So, Uh, Shout out to her uh, For winning that and she got a cool $50,000 for that So uh, so that's going to do it Right (laughs) Going towards school But uh, that's going to do it listeners for our first segment Uh, We're going to take a a quick break And when we come back we'll get into some COVID news Um, You may have to take a third Vaccine or booster So we're going to talk about that after the break So stick with us and we'll be right back Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So like we said before the break, there is a possibility that you may have to take a third COVID vaccine or really a booster shot um, to beef up your um, your vaccine uh, from Pfizer. And so what, what's really happening here is so as the weather has warmed up, we've seen the coronavirus cases plummet um, and we've kind of gone back to normal. But in recent weeks, that has kind of stalled out. So right now. Uh, the CDC is starting to notice what they call localized hotspots that are starting to emerge across the country. But in particular, they're concentrated down in the South and the Midwest and the West. And so this is, according to an analysis that NPR conducted uh, with John Hopkins University, these surges that we're seeing are likely driven by pockets of dangerously low vaccination rates. And the number of people catching the virus has risen in more than half of the state's uh, over the past two weeks. And 18 states actually have greater numbers of new infections now compared with four weeks ago. And that includes states like Arkansas, Florida, Iowa, Missouri, and Oklahoma, where new daily cases have actually doubled. And so another uh, warning sign is that the number of people getting hospitalized for COVID-19 has also started rising in nine states. And so NPR's analysis with John Hopkins illustrates the dramatic impact of vaccination rates on risk for localized outbreaks. And right now, the CDC is saying nine in 10 of the hotspot counties that have seen this increase in cases all have lower vaccination rates than the average U.S. county. So what you're seeing here, if you find a county with low vaccination rates, they're probably seeing in cases. Um, and so, Adrian. We're both vaccinated, but as we as we know, there are some people who are just stubborn, aren't going to do it, think it's going to kill them, whatever it may be. But obviously, we're starting to see some signs that COVID might be trying to make a comeback here.
0: Yeah, Devin. I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, we're back to you know 2020 with you know this you know misinformation uh, campaign against you know getting your vaccines. I don't. I don't know if that's what the slow down is in, you know, the South, the Midwest. I mean, in the West Coast, I'm surprised. You know, I mean, in the West, I'm surprised to hear that because I know in California, I know a lot of people get vaccinated, maybe certain ones. But there's a lot of news out there, Devin. I, you know, before I got on my flight, I had somebody send me an article talking about blood clots. If you have been vaccinated and they tried to get me to rebook my flight and not come over to Baltimore and I, I, I thought that was ridiculous, obviously, and I had to send them over an actual article talking about that. But you, you've got too many cases like that, Devin that that's happening, and that's why people aren't getting vaccinated. But folks, um, you know, if you don't go get your shots, we're not going to get out, you know over this um i really hope that you know we you know, you know that we maybe ha- you know, have a little bit of more uh, innovation or a little bit more nuance in de- uh, delivering vaccines to people uh i know i was reading or rather listening on msnbc And they were talking about in New York at the zoo, they were providing vaccines. Um, I don't know if governors have to get desperate, but maybe you need to have, you know, vaccines at liquor stores and pharmacies or whatever, or, you know, have them at the casinos, have them at clubs, have them at bars. I mean, if you go in, you know, if you're at a big restaurant, maybe give them out to. Restaurants, Because obviously if they don't need, you know, high re- refrigeration like, you know, the J&J vaccine, we just got to get creative, Devin, uh, on how we're going to get, um, you know, more and more vaccines out. Um, we do know that, you know, they're trying to develop uh, a third dose as a booster shot. Um, But the thing that we need to really be focusing on from most, you know, what most medical uh, doctors and, you know, health experts are saying, we really need to be focusing right now on the unvaccinated. If you are vaccinated, you know, the FDA, the CDC, they actually put out a joint statement pushing back against Pfizer and BioNTech, saying that we don't really need to focus on, uh, uh, Giving the fully vaccinated a third booster shot is like they don't need it at this time, but we need to make sure that full unvaccinated people go get theirs asap as soon as possible, so that we can make sure to protect them, but not only them, protect our communities because we can't get out of uh, that without it. So, um, Devin, there's a lot you know to, to talk about with the vaccine. There, uh, I don't know why we have so much hesitancy there. But I'm hopeful that uh, we'll be able to kind of rebound and, and kind of rework that because until again, until we get vaccinated, we're not going to be able to all you know go back to football games, uh, crowd around, have these same gatherings like we used to. So please, please, if you're listening and you have not been vaccinated, go get vaccinated.
1: That's the message. Go get vaccinated. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's gonna do it for that one. And then our next story here, just kind of some international news. Uh, but President Biden did announce uh that the withdrawal from Afghanistan of US troops after 20 years of war will finally conclude on August 31st. Um, and this is uh some some about a few days ahead of the September eleventh deadline that he announced in mid-April. And so As of right now, when he announced this September deadline, there were about 3,500 troops that were actually in Afghanistan. Um, Earlier this week, the Pentagon had said that the the withdrawal was actually about 90% complete. Um, And so it proceeded quickly uh, for a reason. And so um, right now, it's actually, like I say, it's it's about 90% complete. U.S. forces last week, they exited uh, Bagram Airfield, which is the largest American base in Afghanistan. They turned that over to Afghan National Defense and Security Forces, uh, which completed the U.S. transfer of all seven bases to Afghanistan. So pretty much the logistical part of the withdrawal is done. Um, So President Biden did say, though, although U.S. troops are leaving, that the U.S. will continue to have a diplomatic presence in the country. They will maintain an embassy in Kabul. Uh, and they will also have several hundred troops that will remain for protection, and more could support the security of Kabul International Airport. And so, as the the only drawback, though, of course, is always a trade off here. As U.S. troops have been withdrawing from Afghanistan, the Taliban has been steadily seizing more territory. And so, in just the last two months, the Taliban has taken control of more than eighty of the four hundred and seven districts in Afghanistan. And this is according to the Long War Journal, which closely tracks the conflict. And in the past week alone, the Taliban has taken 10 percent of the country, controlling 195 districts. So we're getting out of Afghanistan finally on August 31st. Um, But like I say, the Taliban is making headway. So hopefully that doesn't turn into another uh, headache down the road. (laughs)
0: Yes, you're absolutely right. We hope that that uh, is something that we can kind of see some resolve over because we definitely need our troops home. Uh, Another story that we see here, uh, this is going to take us to Massachusetts. Looks like over the Fourth of July weekend, an hours long standoff between Wakefield, Massachusetts police and a group called Rise of the Moors. Uh, received more media attention and news coverage than a Philadelphia march of white nationalists called Patriot Front. So a little bit of, uh, you know, double standard here, as, as, as we've seen. Uh, one reporter put it this way. Six months after a mob of white folks tried to take over the federal government, white white right-wing domestic terrorism remains the greatest threat to America. And yet America needs the narrative of the black boogeyman and will focus on that and dismiss the threat coming with white uh, white supremacists and white nationalists. So it's a really, really interesting story to see kind of how that attention is different. The article goes further to say 11 members of the Rhode Island-based Rise of the Moors, a black nationalist group formed decades ago in the spirit of noble Drew Ali of the Morse Science Temple of America and Elijah Muhammad of the Nation of Islam. Uh, 11 members of that group were arrested following a highway traffic stop. The group was headed to Maine for training and had camping equipment. Police reportedly noticed the men uh, were armed and with military gear. Um, they parked them on the side of the road on I-95. The police reportedly asked the men for drivers and gun licenses, which they did not produce. So... Obviously, this was a situation that was very hostile. Uh, they considered themselves indigenous people uh, and American nationalists, but not U.S. citizens. Um, despite the Southern Poverty Law Center labeling them as an anti-government, anti-police sovereign citizens group, the group's leader, also uh, the group's leader Jamal Lattimore, also known as Talib Abdul Bay, denied this characterization. and Said he sought a peaceful resolution with the police. So, Devin, a really interesting story there. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure about this black nationalist group because uh, I know that, you know, any sort of form of nationalism can, can often be uh, driven too far. I'm, I'm definitely more inclusive of everybody. Um, but I definitely understand, you know, the part of the double standard because we did, you know, obviously the Philadelphia white nationalist group, you know, Patriot Front. You know, where's the uh, where's the news article about them?
1: <laughs> well, black people with the guns is always very scary So that's like the worst nightmare of a lot of people in this country So not really surprised that it got as much attention as it did Especially when they were all in all the tactical gear and stuff um, You know, it scares a lot of people Rightly or wrongly, it just does um, But I've heard of the Moors too This wasn't the first time I've heard of them um, So it's interesting that that happened That's because I've read a couple other stories about them and this is starting to pop up in more places, so this may not be the last time we actually talk about uh, the you know the the Moors in that group. So uh, interesting story, though. But our, our last topic here before we go into break uh, is going to go come out of Haiti. So you may, I'm sure you've heard, but Haiti is kind of in real turmoil right now. Um, on this past on July seventh or just this week, uh, Haiti's President uh, Jovenel Moise was assassinated by armed assailants who stormed his private residence in the capital, Port-au-Prince, on on the 7th. Uh, A group of gunmen broke into his home uh, in the Perilin neighborhood at about 1 o'clock local time on Wednesday, and he did shoot and assassinate the president 12 times in his own home. Um, And so after that happened, Haiti has gone through about 24 hours of gun battles uh, with suspects in the assassination of Haiti's president, uh, the nation's authority actually announced the arrest of 20 people, and they've now called on the United States to send troops to help protect crucial infrastructure. Um, and, it, and it looks like they're going to get some support, but not what they want. In Washington, um, a senior Biden official said that the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security officials would go to Port-au-Prince as soon as possible to assess how they can help. The official also did say that they are, qu- at least right now, quote, there are no plans to provide U.S. military assistance at this time. So um, really tragic story happening down in Haiti. We pray for them and hopefully they can get through this time. It is it's delicate right now, Adrian, because, you know, their leader has, has been assassinated and it just seems like they're descending into real chaos. And you just hope that they can find a way out of this. But, you know, there's a power vacuum and you know how people act. Uh, when when they you know power is at stake, so just a really chaotic situation happening.
0: Yeah, I mean we've we've been there before to a degree with with our country where we've had our leader get assassinated. But you know, fortunately for you know you know America, we are a, a pretty strong uh, democracy, and we have you know a system in place for when those sorts of actions happen. Um, but a country like Haiti, you know, t- does not have those same systems. You know, definitely. Uh, hoping that that situation gets worked out. So, uh, listeners, uh, this is our new format that Dev and I are trying to do, where we have you know quicker. You know, usually we have like hour long news segments, and then we do our quick hits. But we've decided to condense it down, give you two good news segments, and then some funny quick hits at the end. So, we would love to get your thoughts on on what you think of our new format. Uh, go to our social media. We always talk about that so much, but make sure you go there. Uh, shoot us a quick message if you want You know, uh, uh, Use our hashtag when you post about sharing us And say hey they got a new format that's awesome Y'all would love it uh, But yeah send us your thoughts You can even send it to our email info at blackagendapod.com But either way let us know We'd love to hear your thoughts We're going to take our, uh, another little break here uh, Our last break actually And then we're going to come back with our quick hits And our ending so stick with us We'll be right back <laughs> Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patreon.podbean.com forward slash blackagendapod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, let's get back into it here. Let's go ahead and round off with our quick hits here. Um, Before we get into our funnier quick hits, I found a very inspirational quick hit here, some self-exoneration. Looks like 55-year-old Clyde Beasley was wrongfully incarcerated for many years in the state of California. However, while behind bars, he was able to skillfully exonerate himself and get his case overturned. Now, as a free man, he has launched the Prison Reform Project, to help other innocent prisoners and their families. In addition to bringing more awareness to wrongful convictions and the need for prison reform, his nonprofit organization also focuses on giving comfort and guidance to families and their loved ones who are in prison. He was inspired to launch his organization after learning there were more people in prison in the United States than any other country in the world, and 33% of all inmates in the United States are actually African American. Another cool thing about this, Devin, in response, because there's a there's a lot of different initiatives uh, 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 that are helping to overturn wrongful convictions. One popular one or rather uh, very famous one is the Innocent Project. But a lot of states have actually started to adopt different changes. Uh, The state of Connecticut recently, uh, they've just made it uh, become the first state to make telephone calls free for inmates to their family. In addition, uh, the state of Louisiana has decided to increase the compensation award to innocent people who have been wrongly convicted They used to give them $25,000 for every year They spent in prison Now they're getting 40000 for every year They were wrongfully accused and they were in prison So, Devin, that's a good trend there We hope to see more and more people uh, Being able to take advantage of these um, Programs that are o- o- Overturning their cases
1: No, and right, rightly so um, You know, shout out to Louisiana Hey, moving that um, Compensation up from 25000 To forty. Um, so, yeah, really, really good story there. Um, our next one may not necessarily be that good, but it is kind of scary if you don't like snakes. Uh, so the Blue Zoo Aquarium inside the Mall of Louisiana was closed on Tuesday after python that's used in the shows to entertain children actually escaped from its enclosure. And so the uh, St. George Fire Department was sent in around 1020 uh, a.m. on Tuesday to find Kara. That's the name of the python. Um, who is about 12 feet long. And so officials said the mall was closed at the outset, but only the Blue Zoo was locked down as of about noon on Tuesday. So the aquarium in Baton Rouge, which opened this year in the mall, believes Kara is still inside, possibly in the ceiling, and they are unsure how she actually escaped. And so Blue Zoo told WAFB in a statement on Tuesday afternoon Quote, while we've created a very secure home for Kara, our Burmese python, she has slithered out of her exhibit. Kara is non-poisonous, a friendly snake that enjoys her time interacting with guests during our snake education shows. And so Kara is an adored member of our Blue Zoo family. So as adored as she may be, if anybody runs up on Kara, she can be very scary um, and frightening to a lot of people, you know. So, there's a python on the loose apparently in the mall. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, uh, I can, I can hear Dorothy in the background. Devin and uh, she, uh, listeners, I know everybody knows about uh, Devin's dog. Uh, this python is not as cute as Dorothy. So, if you see, the, uh, if you see this python, <laughs> you might want to turn the other way. Um, here's another interesting story out of California. This was actually funny. This one's not as inspirational. I would definitely say listeners do not get any inspiration from what you're about to hear here. Uh, the California highway patrol said an officer recently pulled a vehicle over when it noticed, uh, an unusual vehicle obstruction, excuse me, visual obstruction on the hood. This person who was driving had a satellite dish. I mean, literally a satellite dish, the one you put on your home uh, to, you know, the, you know, get satellite. They had it on their car. Uh, the Highway Patrol in Antelope Valley uh, said that they said this to an Instagram post that Officer T. Catton stopped a Toyota Prius on the highway after noting a large satellite dish mounted right in front of the windshield. Uh, the officer pulled over the driver. Uh, and asked the driver, you know, does the satellite dish impede their view? And the person responded, only when I make right turns, interestingly. I I don't know how that works. But uh, this person obviously uh, was breaking laws. California Vehicle Code says that that's illegal to mount anything on the hood of a vehicle that could obstruct the driver's view. Um, The officer said it's about safety, folks. The CHP did not say whether the driver was ticketed or released with the warning. But I'm sure uh, the officer probably at least made the guy take the satellite dish. At the very least, if they didn't, you know, ticket him, please, you know, make him take the satellite dish off, Devin. <laughs> I
1: wonder what it was the purpose. Oh my goodness, this is I, crazy. My
0: thought, Devin, is that he—I I don't know if it—I don't know if it would work or if it wor- was working. Maybe he wasn't getting uh, radio service or something like that. Yeah. He thought maybe he could like. Uh, he probably was re- watching the news about all these UFOs, and he thought maybe if he put a satellite dish up, he could maybe communicate with them or something. I don't know. Well, I'm not sure.
1: That's that's pretty insane. Maybe he's trying to pick up Sirius Radio or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: But you know,
1: that's that's pretty funny. But our next story again from California. So we got a lot of California stories, but. Um, This one is about a shirtless California man. So, a half-clothed California man was arrested on Wednesday after he climbed atop a church bell tower to set fire. He set fire to a cross, and then he proceeded to jump rooftops and repel buildings as authorities tried to chase him. The man, who was not immediately identified, was shirtless and missing a sock while at the top of the four-story. Uh, St. Mary's Catholic Church in the Boyle Heights neighborhood of Los Angeles. So I don't know how far he was from where you stay, Adrian, but hey, he's in L.A. Um, a helicopter crew with Fox 11 captured the video of the man moving across the rooftops. Literally, you can go look this up. You can Google it. He is jumping rooftop to rooftop, getting away from this church. And he can be seen climbing down the church exterior, jumping from rooftops. He also used wires dangling above the neighborhood to climb up and repel uh, from buildings. And so police were eventually able to safely detain him. They didn't identify him. Um, the firefighters brought him to a hospital. Um, they were also able to ensure that the roof, the fire on the roof was fully extinguished, um, but they are continuing to investigate exactly why he decided to set fire to the church and then jump building the buildings, trying to be Spider-Man or something over there. <laughs>
0: You know, Devin, uh, in LA, there's a lot of people who are uh, overly ambitious, and maybe this is one of them. There's, it's you know, just a high, high drive out there. Everybody wants to be somebody. So this person was doing all he could to be somebody. Um, this was an interesting story, uh, listeners. Here, I, I kind of, I kind of, you know, titled this: "What not to do if pulled over with weed." Uh, So this is going to take us out of California and over to the Midwest. We're going to Ohio State Highway Patrol trooper successfully performed the Heimlich maneuver after a man allegedly attempted to swallow a bag of weed when he was pulled over for speeding. Trooper Charles Hopskin conducted a traffic stop for the vehicle. Uh, the vehicle is actually going 94 miles an hour in a 70-mile-an-hour zone, which is so interesting because they say when you're high, you drive slower. So this is definitely proof that that's not true. Uh, Dashcam uh, posted in the Ohio State Police Twitter account shows Trooper Hopskin asking if the driver could breathe before pulling the driver out of the car and performing the homic maneuver. The man expelled a bag of weed and apologized to the officer, uh, which is interesting. But uh, after the man recovered, Trooper Hospital asked, <laughs> this is a funny question, Devin. But the trooper asked, do you want to die over a minor misdemeanor? <laughs> uh, the man received citation for speeding uh, and felling towards wear seatbelt. seatbelt. Uh, the man also received a summons for having the weed, and but was released uh, at the scene. Uh, Devin, that's interesting. Uh, I, I can imagine, um, some, you know, some, you know, some people being in situations like this and, you know, you see in the movies, everybody freaking out about the weed and the cops, but, mm-hmm. um, eating it may not be the best thing to do, especially if you don't have any water or something to wash it down with. Nah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> What's, it's kind of ironic. The cop said that, do you want to die over a misdemeanor? Um, cause it happens A lot, actually. (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, it's just a funny question. He asked him that. Um, Yeah, don't swallow the weed. Get some... Yeah, that's just nonsense. Uh, It's not worth it. But um, our next story, our last quick hit here is kind of weird. So if you believe in ghosts or voodoo or bad, bad vibes, this is a story for you. So there was a man he's a father of three who's exploring his local woods and he discovered an old artifact that he probably won't be displaying in his home. Uh, Instead, he's actually worried he may have stumbled upon an old curse. And so the man's name is Chris Langston. He actually found a pile of broken dishes in the woods near his home in England. And naturally he went and decided to inspect it. And so this is from Southwest News Service. Um, He then found a bottle underneath which contain a human tooth, hair, and a yellowish liquid that appeared to be urine. So the man did a little bit of research online and discovered it was a witch bottle. And it was later confirmed to be, it could date back to 1860. And so apparently items like this used to be used be used to ward off evil spells and curses, And so apparently, you know, upon learning this, uh, Mr. Langston decided that it wasn't worth keeping his unusual find. He said, quote, I went back the following day and placed it in an undisturbed part near the area where I found it and buried it just slightly just to avoid any bad juju. So, (laughs) Agent, I think he made a safe bet. If you find a a witch, you know, what is probably a witch bottle to ward off bad curses, it's got a tooth and everything in it. That's kind of creepy. Very very creepy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I grew up. I, I am you know a Christian. I grew up in a more religious household, and, and that kind of stuff, you know, definitely, uh, yeah. definitely kind of freaks me out to where I do not want to be around it. So. <laughs> It's definitely yeah. some bad curses over there, <laughs> and, and exactly. There's there's a there's a reason why a lot happens uh, when people have that kind of stuff around them. There's 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 a, there's a reason for that. But hey, uh, listeners, we're gonna give you another quick little break here, and when we come back, we're gonna do our ending. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back.
1: You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple podcast or by visiting patron.podbeam.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to give you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So uh, next up, our next episode comes out on July 13th on Tuesday, July 13th. That's going to be our regularly scheduled episodes this time. It's going to be about comedy comedy and cancel culture. And we're going to be actually having a great guest. Uh, one of the best guests we've had on the show. His name is Josh Johnson. He's a stand-up comedian and Emmy-nominated writer for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And so it's a really great conversation we cover. Hey, you might even get some, some life advice out of this. Some politics. But we also talk about cancel culture and how that is impacting the comedy game. Again, we'll have Josh Johnson stand-up comedian and Emmy-nominated writer for The Daily Show uh, with Trevor Noah. So that's coming out Tuesday, uh, July 13th. And then, of course, next Saturday, July 17th, we'll be back here with you, bringing you Weekly Roundup number 5. Again, let us know if you like this new format. We're trying it out. Um, So give us your feedback. Email us. Shoot us a message on social. Um, Let us give us your thoughts. We're just trying to see if this is going to work for us. But again, july 13th on tuesday josh johnson weekly roundup number five on saturday july 17th we appreciate you listening to us but you can also help us out uh, with a little bit of money and adrian's gonna let you know how you can do that
0: absolutely folks make sure you uh tune in to that interview with josh johnson he is awesome really funny Uh, open up Devin and I's funniness. So it was really, really cool, uh, to talk with him, but to get to the the meat of this thing here, donations, 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 they, they make the world go around, uh, for nonprofits, but they can also make the black agenda podcast even better. Uh, Dev and I, we talked so much off, uh, off, uh, off the mic and behind the scenes about what we want to do with the Black Agenda, uh, about how we want to lobby leaders, uh, about how we want to uh, be able to invest in the communities that we're actually educating and uplifting. In order to do that, we need you as listeners and followers and everything like that. But we also need you as patrons uh, subscribing to us, monthly contributing to us. The easiest way to do that, listeners, is go to our website, blackagendapod.com, click on that Donate tab, start off with a dollar, and then let it go up from there. We got a bunch of different perks you can have, like show suggestions, being on the show, advertising with us, all kinds of stuff. So again, to make our mission go further, we're going to need you. So go to our website, blackagendapod.com, click that Donate tab. The other thing that we like to highlight is our Charity of the Month. That's another thing that our money can go towards, some sort of recognition from our fans to our charity of the month every month. For the month of July, we've selected Color of Change. Color of Change is the nation's largest online racial justice organization. They help people respond effectively to injustice in the world around us. As a national online force driven by 7 million viewers, or excuse me, 7 million members, they move decision makers and corporations and government to create a more human and less hostile world for Black people in America. So yeah, a really, really great organization promoting us and promoting people of, uh, that look like us. So give to us so we can give to them, make the world a better place.
1: That's how we like it, making the world a better place, one podcast at a time. <laughs> Um, So before we get out of here again, make sure you follow us on social media at Black Agenda Pod. Uh, You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We love it when you share it. We love it when you listen and donate and help us out. So again, at Black Agenda Pod is where you can find us. Also, we do have a YouTube channel. Um, Just search the Black Agenda Podcast. and You'll find some great, great, great content up there. Um, So all different kind of topics that we try to bring you and educate the people on. Um, so, make sure you go share, like, share, and follow. Um, just do it all. Help us out. We're trying to grow this thing. So, again, uh, for me and Adrian, we appreciate you listening to us. We hope you like this new format. Let us know. You can email us at info at com. Um, again, that's info at com. Shoot us an email. We will respond and talk to you. We want to hear your thoughts about it. Uh, But again, we appreciate you listening and staying with us and we'll catch you guys next time.